This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 42. This is Writing Excuses, adapting story for game with Alan Barr. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. I'm Beth. I'm Dan. And joining us is one of my very favorite game designers. And when I say one of, I mean very. Uh, Alan Barr. Alan, tell us a bit about yourself. Hey, uh, yeah, so I make games of the tabletop variety. Role-playing games, board games, and card games. I wrote the rules for Planet Mercenary, which is probably why Howard likes me. <laughs> um, and I've done other games, including adaptations of the Powder Mage novels, as well as my own. Outstanding. Well, what we're going to talk about here is the process by which uh, a, a licensed property or a story that, you know, maybe your own, so you, you're not licensing it, gets turned into something that is, you know, a story that players can tell, a game that players can participate in. How does this process work? Where do we start? Well, uh, you have to start with the idea of the story, I guess, or what you're working with, right? So uh, easiest example, we'll use Planet Mercenary. Uh, Howard said, hey, I have this webcomic some people read, and uh, I would like to make it a game. And I'd actually read the webcomics. That made it a little easier on me. Uh, But then we said, all right, so you have to analyze the story and what you're working with, right? So every story has a what I call a tactile feel to it when you experience. Uh, so, for example, if you read Schlock Mercenary, the experience is um, comedy punched with drama and excessive violence at times. Um, if you read, you know, a uh, Brandon Sanderson novel, sorry to mention Brandon again. <laughs> no, it's here. fine. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, we never get tired of it. No. But, uh, you know, there's a very different tactile experience in reading the Stormlight Archives and reading a three-panel webcomic that comes out daily, right? So the goal of a game set in an existing universe or your own story is that it should feel like your story when somebody sits down to play. And that's the first thing you have to figure out is what is that feeling? Can you give us a specific example of something you did with Planet Mercenary to make it feel like a schlock comic? Sure. So um, in the comic, there is a somewhat high mortality rate at times. (laughs) Really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so we, uh, and this is my favorite part of the rules, frankly. Uh, we created a mechanic that when your character dies horribly because they're going to, um, you get to promote a grunt and make them a new character you play. Mm. Oh. So it's promotion through the ranks. But the way the game works is you're playing an officer and you're running around doing your mercenary things, shooting people. And uh, you have a little team of grunts that follows you. And if you get shot, you can make them jump in the way. So they have to take the hit for you. But every time they survive, they get better and they learn. And they're like, oh, this guy's a jerk. He's getting... So when you die, they get promoted. And based on how many times they've been shot protecting you, they're better. So you sort of build your character before they're played and they come in with a backstory. Do they ever turn on you? Um, if your game chief is a jerk, they do. <laughs> and my, my, my favorite part of this mechanic, uh, we wanted... We didn't, we, didn't want the, we didn't want the red shirt mechanic. We didn't want to just be throwing people into the meat grinder. Uh, when, you, when you say that a member of your fire team is going to take this hit for you, the game chief says, oh, okay, um, take out an index card, tell me what their name is, 
tell me three things about them, and then hand the card to me. And then the game chief flips a coin, and depending on the coin toss, they may or may not tear that card up before your eyes, and that person took the hit for you and is now gone. So you have to, you have to name your grunt and then name three things about them, their hopes, dreams, and aspirations. Yeah. And then so feel there's a 50-50 chance I'm going to tear that card in front of your face <laughs> and say, look, you just killed Steve. <laughs> it's, Steve. It's really kind of delightful. The, uh, the <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's a schlock mercenary game. <laughs> yep. um, one of the things that, uh, that I set out to do, and I, I, I brought this up with Alan at the time. I said, I want people to be able to have the comedy experience of reading Schlock Mercenary without me needing to be there. Um, I, I want there to be punchlines. I want there to be these unexpected, funny things. Um, and, and we came up with the mayhem mechanic, which uh, I think is brilliant, and I, I got to give you credit for it. Well, thanks. I'm pretty sure it was actually your idea but I will take the credit anyway. It was my idea. It was Dan's idea. No, it was idea. my idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all share it. Great. It's like a writer's room. I, I have a question. So um, one of the games that, that I wrote some stuff for you was Tiny Frontiers, which is yes. also space-based, yes. like Planet Mercenary. What did you do as the designer to make sure that those two games had a different tactile feel? Um, so the difference is... Uh, Planet Mercenary was built to tell one particular story. We are telling the schlock mercenary style story with this game. That's it. It doesn't, it's not built to do anything else. And if you try to make it tell a superhero story, it's probably not going to work super well um, mm-hmm. because superheroes shouldn't be killing their friends. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, get weird. It'd it, get, get weird really fast. bizarre, really Batman fast. Batman does all the time. Yeah, well, Batman's not a superhero, but we can have a different <laughs> conversation. Okay. <laughs> um, so with Tiny Frontiers, the goal was to provide a generic rule set. So we actually weren't going for a feel. So we had to strip out anything that made it feel like a particular story and leave it as this empty, hollow shell that we asked people to give us money for. <laughs> is that, no, I like that. And that, that brings us to our book of the week, <laughs> which is, in fact, Tiny Frontiers. That's a great pitch. Do you want to try that again? Sure. Uh, so Tiny Frontiers is what we call a minimalist role-playing game. The rules are really simple. They're really light. You can make a character in under a minute. Uh, even if you don't know the game, and it plays on four basic mechanics. So it's a, it's a great little game, and we make it really easy to play because we got a t- bunch of authors and game writers to write a bunch of little high-level settings to play in. So you have everything from Firefly to Star Trek to He-Man inside this game, and you can just play it. One of my favorite parts about that game uh, is all the micro settings. Like he said, all these different authors and game writers got together, and more than half the book is these little things. You know how the game works because the mechanics are so simple. Now, here's a bazillion different cool ideas you can use. Uh, the scenario I wrote for it was a, a gray goo nanotech thing. Apocalypse thing. Yeah, yeah, which was really fun to do. That's fantastic. So one of the things, I, I did um, some game writing just a little bit for, for a video game, and one of the things that uh, helped me wrap my head kind of around how to construct a narrative was realizing that in a lot of ways it's a second-person narrative with the, the player being the hero. And I think that some of the games that I've seen that have failed or, or that have gotten people annoyed, um, the name of the game just went out of my head. It's the one video game and you're, there, there's uh, – oh, never mind. But you, you're, you're, your, chi- your child has been kidnapped and you're trying to rescue your child and 
you have to go through all of these adventures, and then at the end... Oh, at, is that Heavy Rain? Is it Heavy Rain? I don't think so. Anyway. Anyway, does it, it's a well-known one. No, it's not Heavy Rain. Um, anyway, it's a very well-known game. Is I it can't... The Last of Us? No. No. Okay, anyway. Right. Anyway, it doesn't... I, clearly it might does not, show up in the liner notes. We might just be <laughs> yes, it apologizing in the yes. liner notes. in the next notes. ten minutes uh, so, guessing. No. Point being, uh, the problem with that was that you knew you didn't have a kid, and... The, the all of your efforts were going into trying to deal with this post-apocalyptic world that you were in. And so by the time you finally got back around to your kid again, you're like, who, wait, who? There was no emotional connection because it was denying a truth that you lived in, which is where second-person narratives oh, break out apart. Four. It's Fallout 4. Thank you. Oh, I've, yeah, I've played that. I was like, oh, oh, so my child's all grown up. Spoiler yeah, but <laughs> but because it it denies the truth of your second of that second person narrative, which is where in in fiction in prose second person breaks down, is if you're denying a truth that the if you're breaking the the reader's understanding of self. Mm-hmm. So so does that does that fit with the kind of games that you do? Thinking about the the player as the protagonist. Uh, in, entirely. I mean, so going back to tabletop role playing games the core focus of the story is always on the players playing their characters. They are, they might not be the heroes of the story, but they're definitely the protagonists. Uh, usually they're not heroes, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Most people who play role-playing games do terrible, terrible things in a fictional world. Yeah, but I, I can think of some examples, and I don't want to name them, of, you know, big published role-playing scenarios and events that didn't allow the players to be the centerpiece. And that is completely opposed to the purpose. Yeah, the, when, when I started to realize this, the, one of my favorite games actually is Zombies Run, uh, which is, you know, it helps you run. And, and it's great because you are the centerpiece of that. And then they did uh, another one called The Walk. And at the beginning of it, you are still the centerpiece, but then they keep adding more and more characters and to the point that you're like, why is, why is my character, why, why am I still here? Why am I walking instead of just handing this package off to someone else? Right. I got very bored with it. Yeah. But I do zombies run. <laughs> um, there's this, uh, this idea of uh, emergent narrative, which is that the, the story that is being told in a role-playing game emerges from the players. Uh, how do you... Because not everybody sits down to tell a story knowing that that's what they're going to do. What do you do, Alan, to encourage people to tell stories in these settings you create? Sure. So um, there's two types of ways to encourage. I'm making quotes here because really it's like forcing or pulling teeth. But uh, encourage players to tell a story. There's uh, mechanical, which is the game rules push something. A lot of games will do things like you have plot points, and if you spend a plot point, you have to narrate why it matters or why do you have plot armor in this scene or whatever. Um, That's a very common, uh, I guess, trope actually at this point in role-playing games. Um, Then there's the social manipulation a game master does to push players to tell stories saying things like, are you sure you want to do that? And asking really loaded questions like, you know, that's a burning orphanage over there, but you're chasing that bag of gold. Are you sure that's the way Paladin's going to go? Like, uh, and there's sort of a social guidance aspect to playing these games in a sense. I use the term manipulation lighthearted, but it's actually kind of what it is. Oh yeah. That's what all fiction is. Yeah. It's emotional manipulation. Yes. I'm, I'm glad we came clean about that. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm glad we came clean about that. And what's the third one? I thought you said there were three. 
I think two. Two. Mechanical okay. and narrative. That, that so, oh, mechanical and social. Okay. And then there's narrative. Um, a good game master will set up a story that draws you in. And that's where a lot of, as Dan brought up, the adventures that, in game terms, they call it putting you on rails because you're locked in on, like, a train track. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where that struggles is on rails. You don't have any emotional connection to the narrative because it's just going to happen, right? You're going to go in the dungeon. There's going to be an orc in the room. It doesn't matter. It's gonna, when you open that door, there's always an orc in that room. <laughs> it's true. Like, a lot of games do that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a good narrative will draw the players in because it's not just going to be the same orc in the same room every time they open that door. You're going to go, you killed the orc last time. Now there's a swarm of rats or... Now the orc's bigger, angrier brother is in the room, so it's a bigger orc. The orc's orphaned children. There is a, there is a well, if you want to try an RPG to get the hang of that, there is a well-known RPG. I say well-known. It's probably not well-known outside of game designers. But uh, it's called The Orc, the Pie, in the Room, I believe. And it's a one-page RPG where there is an orc in a room between you and a pie. <laughs> and, you, and you need to get him to give you the pie. And that can be through talking, that can oh, be through violence, good. that can be through... But it's a little, like, uh, imagination exercise to push you to consider the way the room and the game and the narrative are going to evolve based on action and consequence. Not only do I now want that game, I now want pie. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are out of time. Um, who's got our writing prompt? Uh, that would be me. I would... Uh, so my writing prompt this week, as a game designer, I don't write a lot of fiction or prose. But I consider narrative and approach to narrative a lot in how I design things. So my writing prompt to you is to write down three rules about your world or your story or your game that are unbreakable and then find ways to break them without actually legally breaking them. Try to circumvent your own rules inside the rule set you've created. Outstanding. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm sitting here with my mind blown, wondering how my players are going to try and break the rules of the game we created. I'm sure they already have. Fair listener, this has been Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 